So today, we're going to finish up our series on the Beatitudes. We've been in this now for seven or eight weeks, spread over about 12 weeks, because we've had a couple breaks in between. But today, we're finishing up, and this is the last study on the Beatitudes. And remember, the Beatitudes really mean be attitude. It's a study in how we control how we think, how we feel about many things in life. And Jesus gave these Beatitudes on a hillside back probably at the beginning of his ministry. We really don't know exactly when it was in his ministry, but it probably was at the beginning of his ministry. And he gave this study, these, these Beatitudes, these commands, these promises to the Jewish people of the day that were steeped in Jewish Old Testament traditions. So we try to find what they feel like and what they were thinking about when we study these so that we can get a better understanding of what Jesus' intentions were. But it's important for us to recognize that Jesus being God in flesh, he was fully God yet fully man, that he was able to teach whatever he taught and expressed his feelings in a time-independent manner. In other words, he could speak directly to the audience that day, sitting on that grassy hillside. And at the same time, he can read our mail. (laughs) At the same time, he can speak directly into our lives 2,000 years later. So that's why this study is so valuable, because it meant something to them coming out of their traditions and out of their teachings and out of their Old Testament theology. And it also means something to us coming through a New Testament theology and uh, everything in between. So I, and I hope and I trust that you've picked up some good application out of this study and what it means to command our attitude in such a way that God would be pleased with the way we're living. So the text for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you let's pray father i just encourage our hearts today and i ask you to open up your word in our hearts help us to be able to uh Appreciate what you're saying. Help us to be able to apply what you're saying. And I pray that the enemy would, would be um, not have any way to get in and take and confuse the message today. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The New Living Translation uh, says this about chapter, uh, verse 10 in chapter 5. It says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Doing, for doing right, maybe righteousness is a big word that we don't really appreciate. Maybe righteousness is something in, is more of an Old Testament word. But I think we all know what it means to do right. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who do right, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. And I think that it's important that when I read this passage, that I read it the way Jesus is saying it. Because he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness or because of their doing right. In other words, um, we can be persecuted for the wrong reasons. We could be persecuted 
out of our self-righteousness if we're not careful. Um, and I think Jesus specifically says righteousness here in this context so that we don't find ourselves thinking that we're persecuted for the wrong reasons. In other words, we can make a lot of our own problems in life, can't we? <laughs> we can make a lot of our own issues in life that have painful consequences. And it may feel like I'm being persecuted, but in reality, I'm just getting what I've created. I'm sowing or I'm reaping what I'm sowing. And so we have to be careful when we live life that we are living life for the right reasons, doing the right things, and then letting the chips fall while, where they may. I'm not going to be rewarded because I'm the most legalistic person in the world. I'm not going to be rewarded because I follow the most rules. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. Living with godly convictions is right. It's right to live with rules. It's light, right to live with convictions. But we need to be careful that it doesn't become all about me, all about look at how good I am, and then expecting, and then when people persecute me, I say, oh, God, they're persecuting me because of your righteousness. No, they're not. They're persecuting you because you're a jerk. <laughs> because it's all about me, because I'm living wrongly, and I'm living for my self-righteousness, and they're giving me all kinds of stuff for it. And I'm saying, God, oh, they're persecuting me. And he's saying, Mike, you're missing the point. You're missing it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one here that does that at times? Our life needs to be living for Jesus and serving people with a joy in our hearts that will do that no matter what's happening around us. When I can live for Jesus with joy in my heart to the best that I can and serve people and do the right things, live righteously, and then be rejected, and then be persecuted. Then Jesus says, great are your rewards in heaven. Because you're doing it for the right reason. Let me say up front. That as, as I was studying this week for this. What it means to be persecuted. I really didn't feel qualified. Because we in the American church today. Are not persecuted. <laughs> we have no idea what true persecution is all about. It just doesn't exist here yet. Now, maybe it's coming, but right now I can honestly say that I have never been persecuted for my faith. I may have been opposed. I may have been slandered. I may have been misquoted. I may have been lied about but I've never been persecuted. So for me to really understand what it means for Jesus to be talking about here, I, I really have to stretch myself to try to grasp what he's talking about. So when we talk about persecution, let's, let's think about it in a way that we're preparing ourselves for what may come because we don't know where America is going to end up yet. And we don't know how many days we have left before Jesus comes back and takes his church out of this crazy world because that's the next big event, by the way. The next big prophetic event to be fulfilled is the rapture of the church. 
And that's when we're going to be raptured out of here. And then the seven-year tribulation is going to come. And that's going to be a bad, bad time. But we won't be here when that happens. Thank the Lord. But we don't know, though, what's going to really have to happen yet in our lives. So be prepared. Jesus is talking to us so that we're not taken by surprise. He's not saying this to try to intimidate anybody or try to make us upset. He's just trying to say, guys, when it happens, I just want you to know that I told you already that it was going to happen. Be prepared because we need to determine in our own right how are we going to stand when times do get tough. Make the decision now so that when the persecution does come, if it comes, will I be able to stand against it? I think that this is kind of a summary, if you will, of all of the Beatitudes. So just to, to summarize what we've been studying over the n- last number of weeks, I want to read all of the Beatitudes again and think about them in the context of being blessed for persecution's sake. All right, so open your Bible or f- read along with me here. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 3 through 10. And these are the Beatitudes that we've already studied. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it just seems that if I'm living a good life, if I'm living for righteousness sake, if I'm doing the right things, it would only make sense that the world around me would be happy about that, right? I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm doing things to help people. I'm being a good person. I'm being a good neighbor, a good citizen. And you would think that the world would cheer that and say, yeah, good job, Mike, way to go. But that's not what happens. The fact that it doesn't happen It indicates the world that we're living is not only just alienated from God, but we, but the world is in direct opposition to God. Think about that. The rebellion of the world is such that they do not want anything godly to be manifested. Now, the world may say they want justice, or at least some form of justice, but what they really want is power, privilege, in an ever-increasing possession at the expense of other people. In other words, they really don't want justice. They want anything that's going to make them feel better about themselves in the moment. God's justice is not about that. When we understand what God's heart is and purpose and justice, it gives us a personal mandate to serve people. That's not the world's justice system. The world's justice system is a justice system that says, I want revenge. I want vengeance. If somebody hurts me, I want to hurt him back. And so when someone comes along that's not like that, that, is, that are living by the Beatitudes, that are 
meek, a meek person, a mild person, a person that uh, is merciful to those that have been hurting them. It just confuses the world. And quite honestly, they don't like it because it's the nature of the fallen heart. The fallen heart isn't interested in that kind of justice. The fallen heart is controlled by Satan and it is a heart of greed and it is a heart that says, I want to gain what I can over your hurt. They're not out to help you. The worldly heart, the fallen heart is anything but. So when you have God's justice system, which is mercy and mild and, and, and grace and, and all of the good things there, and then you have Satan's system of greed and possessions for themselves. And when those two opposing aspects of justice collide, there's a problem because it's not peaceful, as Pastor Rip was saying earlier today. And this results in the fact that perse- in, in persecution, because that's the only way the world knows how to fight back. It's the only way the world knows how to fight against a righteous person is to persecute them, is to try to hurt them. You know, a good example that happened in the days of Jesus when he was living is what happened to John the Baptist. Now, we know the story of John the Baptist, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 14, those 12 verses, and we're not going to take the time to read that. But John the Baptist um, was beheaded at the request of King Herod's stepdaughter because John the Baptist publicly declared that Herod was wrong in the way that he divorced his wife to marry his brother's wife, and he was doing it in adultery. And John the Baptist stood against the king and told him and told the people that he was wrong. Well, that didn't make the king very happy, but yet the king was afraid of John the Baptist because he was a prophet and he was afraid of what the people were going to do to him if he would have taken action. And so the way John the Baptist was beheaded was because the stepdaughter pleased the king and pleased those because she danced before the king in his uh, groupings. And so he said, I'll give you anything you want. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. So King Herod put himself in a tough spot. So now he had to do what she asked because of some ego issues. And rather than doing the right thing, he said, fine, I'll give you John the Baptist's head. So that's what happened. So John the Baptist was imprisoned and beheaded for teaching the truth of God's word. And he was executed for that. And actually, this was a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus because Jesus also would be persecuted for teaching truth. And he would also be um, crucified at the whim of the Jewish people. Just like John the Baptist was beheaded at the whim of this young Roman girl, Jesus will be beheaded at the whim of those around him that are rejecting his teaching And these are just two examples of the many examples in the Old and New Testament that many were severely persecuted and um, indeed put to death for their unwavering conviction to teach truth, to live for truth, and to defend it. And I could go on for a a, a bunch more time here talking about the other ones, but I'm not going to because we don't need to do that. We know enough about it already. So I guess the question is, where does that leave us this morning? 
Here's the question. Are we going to be exempt from persecution? I mean, if those people that were living truth why, for truth, the way they were living, if they, were, if they had to suffer and be persecuted, will we have to? And here's the question. I don't know. Are the answer? I don't know. I, I just don't know what that answer is going to be. I don't know if we're going to be persecuted like they were. But the real, the real question for us is, will we be able to stand against it if we are? That's something we need to consider today. We need to understand. We need to come to grips for ourselves. What am I going to do if it happens? Will I be able to stand up for Christ? I just think we need to keep that in the back of our mind. Store that away. Think about that. Live your life with that revelation, knowledge that you may have to someday. But let's go back to our text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. And hopefully we don't have to go through that kind of persecution. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. See, the chances are we won't have to face that kind of persecution. But more likely, we're going to have to face the things that people talk up to about us. They're going to talk, we're going to have to face opposition and, and lies. And we may have to even have to stand up against the politically incorrectness of the world. We may have to stand up to those that believe abortion is okay. We may have to take a stand about that. We may have to take a stand about sexual sins, both homosexual and heterosexual sins. We may need to be uh, clear in our position on that, and that may make you politically incorrect or not popular. We may have to stand against the agenda of the LGBTQ world and the groups and, that are trying to destroy the sanctity of marriage. We may need to, to take a stand against the critical race theory teaching that says that we're all uh, judged or, uh, on our, the value of our skin color and not on our character. I mean, we may have to take a stand against that. And that may make you uncomfortable. And that might make you unpopular. But those are the things that we need to recognize because as a follower of Jesus, re- realize that we will face opposition. You will face it. And for those that aren't willing to stand up to, for it, it really is going to... Um, Show your true colors. And we need to be concerned about that. But the end of verse 11 gives us the reason that we need to be um, really work up. We need to think about this because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Because at, at the end of verse 11, it says that they will say all kinds of false things about you and evil against you. And Jesus says, again, he says, because of me. Not because of you. It's they don't hate you. What they're hating is they're hating the Jesus they see in you. And that's the thing that we have to recognize is that um, it's, so don't take it personal. When people come against you, if you're standing up for Jesus, if you're sta- living for the right things, standing up for the right things, and if people oppose you, don't take it personal. They're just hating the Jesus they see in you. And that's a good thing. 
Because Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute, persecute you also. So as a true follower of Christ, it says in Matthew ten twenty two that you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus also says in Matthew 24, 9 through 13, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> Am I making you happy yet? But hear this, the question, I mean, both the end of both of these passages, it says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The key is standing firm to the end. So it's not about me making you happy today. It's about me preparing you and me so that we can stand to the end. Because if I can stand to the end, I will have a great future. A great story is coming. And the great news is that for those that choose to choose to stand to the test of time and be faithful, that verse 12 says that we can rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. So no matter what you live through today, God will always be the righteous and just judge. He's not only, not only will he deal with the unrighteousness that is giving us the persecution today, but he will be the just and faithful rewarder for all eternity of all those that were persecuted and stood the test of time. That's pretty encouraging. That much I hope I'm encouraging you with. Paul recognized this as he wrote to the Romans that as we are adopted into the family of God, that we must suffer with Christ if we're to be rewarded with Christ. Again, we have to recognize that you only get in what you put out. You only get out what you put in. Just like I was stressing about getting the book and reading the book along with to that Bible study. If you're going to not invest yourself, then don't expect a great reward. Does that make sense? I mean, you have to invest what you believe in. And when you believe in that and are willing to invest in that, God's promises are a great reward. Romans chapter 8, verses 17, in the New Living Translation, it says, And since we are his children, God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, listen to this, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal later to us. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Listen, let me stop here a second. I've said this before. The world would say we're all God's children. And I will say we're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. We're his child when we're adopted into the family of God. That comes to our salvation. That comes to our ability to, when we say, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me for my sins. 
And his answer is yes. And at that time, he adopts us. And then we become the children of God. That's why Paul is saying this. He says that, that the creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Very important that we recognize that point. Verse 20, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. That's a glorious day, folks. That's something that we can look forward to and we can rejoice in because we're willing to stand the test of time today. If I'm not willing to stand the test of time today, then I really can't claim this promise. So Paul eagerly awaits that day, and he's awaiting it to the, for those that will endure with him. And anything that we're doing today, anything that we're going through today is far outweighed by the glory coming. I mean, that last day here on earth, that first eternal breath in heaven, when you are finally in your reward, not even thinking about what's going to happen a million years later, but in that final breath, of, or that first breath of heavenly air, you're, you're going to forget about the problems you had on earth. You're going to forget the fact that you suffered with cancer, you suffered with injustice, you suffered with whatever. It's not going to make a difference at that time. You're going to be so enthralled with the fact that you withstood the test of time and you were there, and that's going to be an amazing thing. It's going to make everything worth it. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Peter says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Verse 14, If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying in each other's, people, each other's people's affairs. In other words, you're not, you're not going to have any reward when you're making the problem. <laughs> you have to be suffering for the righteous things, for the good things. Verse 16, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Amen? That's what we're talking about here. And my commentary, my Bible says this, troubles and trials are inevitable for faithful followers of Christ, an ungodly world controlled by Satan and opposed to the message of Christ. Those who are boldly devoted to Jesus Christ, who live by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and who love the truth of God's word will experience trouble and sorrow. It's proof of genuine devotion to him. Problems like this may actually be a sign that God is pleased and confident of your faithfulness to him. Isn't that interesting how we often think that when we're in problems or we're having problems in life that God is against us? Do you know who the liar is? Do you know who the deceiver is? Do you know who the accuser of the brethren is? Exactly. So when you're going through hard times for righteousness sake, know that God is pleased with you. Know that he's got a great reward in store for you. This is not a time to give up and give in. This is a time to hunker down and persevere and say, God, I'm going to go through this and I know you're going to vindicate me in the end. That's his justice system. 
So if we can think of it, think of it this way, that it's the principle that suffering for, for Christ now in this life will only make the joy of receiving God's rewards that much more rewarding. It may seem like a long way off, but recognize that it's really not. The, the, I mean, I, I look back, you know, I've been pastoring now from here since 2009, uh, 12 years, and that's just crazy. I mean, how fast time flies. So, what? Well, I don't know, 2009 to 2021. So it's a long time. And uh, it's a crazy time how time flies. And so when you think about that, know that eternity is coming quicker than what you think. So don't, don't worry about it. Don't give up. Don't, don't get discouraged. And I think this is how I, before I end, I, I want us to think about, think about it this way. Because for most of us here, we will never face persecution. We will never face the severe persecution that the Bible's talking about here. But that doesn't mean that Satan leaves us unattended. Because he's out to destroy us. Right? That's what his purpose is. So we may not go through severe persecution, but I think we're going to go through something that's even just as bad. Opposite of persecution is monotony of life. Opposite of persecution is the doldrums of living day to day. And I think this is really important because this, this may not be exactly what Jesus was talking about to them at the time because persecution was real in that time, much more than it is today for us. So I think what, what really can be damaging for us is monotony because persecution may be more of an immediate threat to your life. You mean you, if you're being persecuted, you may be threatened to, for your faith, to die for your faith, possibly. But that kind of persecution gives you a reason to live. <laughs> that kind of persecution helps you get up in the morning. It helps you get on with your day because you're running for your life. So it gives you a purpose. It gives you a sense of well-being. It gives you a sense of what you're doing is worth doing. But monotony, however... It may not be an immediate threat to your life, but it can be over time be very damaging and very life-threatening in its own way because monotony can bring a sense of depression. And depression is something that can sneak in on you and it can suck the life out of you. And it can say, you have no reason to live. Nobody loves you. Nobody's, nobody cares about you. What you're doing is of no significance. Why even get up in the morning? Why even fight anymore? Just give up. The monotony of life can be a form of persecution that we don't think of as persecution. Why do you think the suicide rate is increasing at the rate it is at all demographics, at all age levels? Because the enemy is the great deceiver. He doesn't care how he kills you. He just wants to kill you. <laughs> he doesn't care if you die by the sword or the guillotine or die by suicide by a person taking his own life or her life. Satan is not limited in his strategies to seek and destroy. He'll use any tactic he can. So if he can't bring an immediate threat of persecution or a threat to your life, he'll be very patient and he'll wear you down with the persistency of the doldrums of life. 
you know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one that experiences it sometimes? I'm not getting anybody nodding their heads. Seriously, help me, help me here. Thank you. Okay, I'm not alone. I, I, you guys understand what I'm talking about? Because a person that's struggling with the doldrums, you're, you're paralyzed. And your ability to share anything good is, is negated because you have no joy. So therefore, how do you share that? You can't give what you don't have. So we need to understand that the value and purpose of life is not based on the level of excitement or activity or drama. Your, your, your value is not determined by how much drama you live through. <laughs> Rather, it's the seeking the will of God in our life and acting on what he gives us as our purpose. Whether it's exciting or not, whether it is motivating to you in the moment or not. You know what? Paul understood this. And he says this to the church of Philippi. So read with me. It's relatively lengthy here, but read with me on this. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, Paul says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, this is, the, this is the, the key, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That is a passage we need to live by. I need to know what it's like to be content with little or lots. Paul never let life become monotonous or all about him. And I think when life begins to get monotonous, it becomes all about me, what I don't have, how poor my pity party We have a blessed day coming, folks, and it's coming sooner than we know. We don't have time to get caught up in the pity parties of life. We don't have time to say, woe is me. This is why the Beatitudes are so important, because it has to me, I have to take control of my attitude. Jackie, would you come, please? I have to be willing to say, no, Mike, it's not right. No, stop thinking that way. No, put that aside and look at what the God, look at God's word says. And I need to go back to that. And even if I don't feel what the God's word is saying, I need to know that that's true. 
And everything that Paul is saying here to me is what I need to be listening to and I need to be making it active in my life. And I cannot go with the political correctness. I can't go with the, with the popular crowd because the majorities aren't, doesn't mean it's right at all. It'd be so much easier if people really appreciated me. <laughs> It'd be so much easier if people really appreciated you. You know what I'm talking about? If people really saw what you live for and said, man, I like it, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be an encouraging world to live in? But the reality is it's not. The reality is the world opposes those that live that way. So just recognize that. Don't be discouraged by it. Be encouraged by it. And here's our promise. Revelations chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that, to, that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Basically, that's the rapture and the tribulation. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will, be my, they will be citizens in the city of heaven, or the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Amen. I mean, guys, we can't even begin to comprehend what we have in store for us. If we will just hold on to the cause... Don't give up in the face of opposition or persecution or the lies that people talk to you about or tell you about you. They're not true. You, you're who you are in Christ Jesus. You need to stand on that so that when we have our final breath here, the next words are going are, are to be said about us. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful. Come and share your master's happiness. Is that your heart's cry? Is that where you want to be? Then this is how we get there. This is the road map. Maybe has, may have some hard days, may have some twists and turns, but I can promise you that if you follow this, if you live this way, I promise you, God's word promises you that great will be your rewards in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this lesson. I thank you, Lord, for the Beatitudes. I thank you, Jesus, and how you were able to say things that were timeless, that the people then understood and were challenged by and encouraged by. And even today, we can be challenged and encouraged by the same words. So, Lord, I pray for everyone today. I pray for this church. I pray for those that call themselves followers of Christ that we will truly be encouraged, that we will know what it is to live for that day, that we will be protected in this day of persecution or opposition, whatever it may be, that we will not lose heart, but God, that we will be so enthralled with the promises of heaven and the promises of eternally being with you and the great rewards that are in store, that it will make us work harder today. It will give us more ambition to get out of bed and get around for the day and do the things that you're calling us to do. 
So God, I pray this way for everyone here today and everyone listening. And I just thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me if you will. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing. And let's uh, just worship him one more minute. Father, I pray a blessing on your people this morning. As they go, may you bless them. May you be with them in a very felt way. And Lord, boost their faith, strengthen their faith from day to day as they go from strength to strength. And Lord, until we come again into this holy place, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go.